There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there. Welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about Oswald Mosley, who, as most of you probably know, was the leader of the British Union of Fascists during the 1930s. Now, I think there are many reasons to talk about Mosley, but particularly the one um, that's most important, I think, is the, his um, his lack of ultimate success. One of the questions I think that it's worth um, evaluating is why Britain had neither a lurch towards um, the left or the right in terms of extremes during the 1930s, and what it was about Britain that managed to kind of insulate it from the prevailing trends really towards extremism on the continent. Um, One only has to look at Germany, Spain, Italy, and the Soviet Union for some good examples. But it was um, hardly the case that there were benign liberal democracies in uh, Poland, Hungary, Romania, or any of the uh, the Balkan states. Uh, Far from it. Um, The the, um, continent was largely um, undemocratic during the 1930s. And in uh, countries that were democratic, notably France, there was a far more uh, lively fascist movement and uh, one that during World War II obviously um, manifests itself eventually uh, as aspects of the Vichy regime. So let's talk a little bit about who Mosley was and where he was, uh, where he was from, and um, a little bit about him as a man. Mosley was uh, the son of a baronet. He was an Anglo-Irish aristocrat, born in eighteen ninety-six. Um, he was um, he married uh, into the Curzon family in nineteen twenty. After the First World War, um, a man such as Mosley, tall, handsome, intelligent, dynamic. Uh, and most importantly, alive, um, was a, a hell of a catch. And he was really the uh, the, the, the toast of post-war London and the uh, the eye of every debutante. Um, he was quite keen on ingratiating himself with his politically powerful new family. And he had come from a, a line of the Mosley family that had really run out of cash. Um, his... Uh, had he had huge aristocratic claims, but not really an awful lot of money to back it up with, and had um, grown up in relatively, for um, the British aristocracy, relatively humble circumstances. And uh, I, I detect from a couple of readings I, I have of Mosley 
that uh, part of his resentment towards the establishment um, came from this. Of course, Mosley was a, a veteran of the First World War, um, as were so many of the uh, advocates of fascism throughout the war. Um, Mosley had uh, a, a quite a checkered war record. He was uh, injured out of his um, role in the Lancers, um, and he joined the Royal Flying Corps as an observer. The Royal Flying Corps uh, being a, a very exciting and experimental branch of the uh, army, as it was at that stage, and one where which was uh, seen as quite glamorous and dashing, and the kind of thing that befitted Mosley's immense ego. Um, he uh, injured himself in a crash and wound up with a desk job for the rest of the war um, and was incredibly lucky, really, to survive the war in the way that he did. And during the uh, election of 1918, Mosley stands for Parliament, only aged 21, and not a man who'd really developed a kind of a key um, set of uh, ideological positions. He stands for the Conservatives, but really on a platform of uh, avoiding future war. And um, this is obviously an immensely popular idea, and it's one that shapes post-war Britain, or interwar Britain, should I say, um, really up until 1938-39. He soon um, fell out of favour with the Conservatives, or they fell out of favour with him, with his uh, Irish roots. He was particularly opposed to the brutality with which... The Liberal-led coalition government, supported by the Conservatives, um, suppressed the um, IRA in Ireland, the use of black and tans, um, who were um, you know, violent, demobbed paramilitary troops designed to use to fight terror with terror during the uh, War of Independence in Ireland, um, appalled Mosley, and he crossed the floor and joined the Labour Party in opposition. He started out life as an independent MP uh, once he uh, left the government and finally actually fully joins the Labour Party in 1924, just in time for Ramsay MacDonald's first Labour administration. Mosley lost his seat for two years between 24 and 26 following the fall of the first Labour government and during that time some of his economic ideas begin to take shape and these are influenced by changes on the continent that he's observing, particularly um, economic changes happening in Italy. His next um, foray back into national politics is with the, with the Labour government um, that's returned to power in 1929, just as the economic crisis that's engulfing the world um, manages to have a, a profound effect on, on Britain. And the impression that one gets of Mosley um, throughout much of his political career, but particularly when he's in office, is one of immense impatience. He's a, a, a very young politician still, but one who's immensely egotistical, who believes really that he has the answers, that he is some great figure that can lead the nation and that his ideas must be listened to. Uh, he's very um, um, unhappy about being sidelined almost immediately that uh, MacDonald wins office again. And he winds up as the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, which is uh, an empty portfolio. He's given the role of dealing with the unemployment problem, which is seen before the Wall Street crash as something of a backwater. 
And some of the ideas that Mosley puts forward may well have actually worked. They seem to be, uh, on paper, potentially quite dynamic ideas, but uh, alarming ideas, particularly to the Labour Party. The Labour Party, um, in the its first few administrations, was far more keen on proving to a hostile, largely right-wing press and a... Um, unsure um, electorate, particularly a middle-class electorate, that it wasn't radical, that it didn't uh, pose a, a radical threat to property or wealth, and that it wasn't um, kind of a, a hidden Bolshevism. So the uh, hot-headed ideas of Mosley, which I'll go into in a moment, were really not very well received by the government at all. There's a lot about Mosley that is rather reminiscent of Joseph Chamberlain, an entire generation before him. And he put forward the Mosley Memorandum, uh, which demanded that there would should be um, tariffs, much as, as Chamberlain had done uh, up until uh, 1907. There, there should be tariffs um, to for protection to make sure that British industry could compete with uh, international competition, particularly from the, UN the USA. Um, and he was particularly keen on nationalisation. Now, this is something that um, the Macdonald governments, because they've been minority governments, had never been able to do. But um, looking at fascist Italy, fascist Italy had, in effect, nationalised huge chunks of state industry, of, of national industries. Um, and they... Um, there was a great deal of Keynesianism uh, in the, the Mosley Memorandum. Um, if you'd listened previously to the podcast on Hayek, I'm going to do something on Keynes in the future. Um, the two were really kind of poles apart. Keynes was very much about... Um, Keynes' famous dictum was that you know, one should um, give a man a meaningless job for the day if he's unemployed ask him to dig a hole and fill it in again at the end of the day because ultimately when you pay him he'll go and spend the money in a shop and it will start the kind of the flow of money into the economy once more and Mosley was all about this he believed that public works were the way to solve unemployment and that if one um, did this kind of thing uh, you you could really inject some moral fibre back into the unemployed because there was obviously something kind of uh, unemployment had atrophied their, their spirit in some way. So these ideas are thrown out. Nobody wants to hear them. Um, and Mosley resigns from his ministerial role. His egotism and his uh, anger towards the government uh, and the, his uh, incomprehension of their inability to take and what he views as essential action um, it suggests that Mosley wasn't a particularly seasoned political player. He wasn't um, particularly um, savvy uh, to the, the workings of Westminster. One only needs to contrast the Mosley Memorandum with what the Labour government was actually doing at the time, um, which was really um, looking to the international financial system, to the City of London and to Wall Street, um, and attempting to craft policies that would um, appeal to them. Uh, one, obviously, being the huge cut in welfare, and later on, in the 1930s and 1934, the introduction of a means testing uh, for benefits. And this um, was, in Mosley's view, you know, rank hypocrisy and deeply unpatriotic. 
Following his resignation, Mosley founds the New Party in 1931, and the New Party isn't quite the British Union of Fascists yet. It is on a journey, really, to um, to fascism. Um, initially, it has some um, interesting supporters. Uh, both Anirin Bevan and Harold Macmillan uh, are supporters of the, the New Party Manifesto, which gives you a, a suggestion that really... Um, it starts out as being something not acutely undemocratic. The economic um, basis of the new party is corporatism. Corporatism was the, the economic bedrock of fascist Italy. Corporatism is really state direction not only of uh, industry but of the trade unions as well and ensuring that the two answerable and uh, agreeable to one another and to the state, and that the state unions and industry work in... I mean, this is the ideal. This is the ideal. It doesn't actually work like this in Italy. But work in a kind of a partnership where industrial, economic and ideological disputes are suppressed um, in favour of the national interest. And the, um, the national interest uh, is the thing that is, is upheld above all. By 1932, however, the new party has moved directly towards um, supporting fascism. And during um, 1932, Mosley actually unites all the disparate um, fascist, um, anti-Semitic and various other extreme right-wing parties within Britain, um, which um, created there's a whole tapestry of different um, small uh, extremist groups that exist across the country, some who have um, more, uh, an agenda closer to um, Italian fascism, some that look to create a kind of a more authentic British nationalism based around the empire. Um, and they, uh, they, they, these range from the, the reasonably serious political contenders on the far right to all manner of uh, extremists. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. 
extremists on the margins of things and you know, various crackpots and that kind of thing. Um, before the um, end of the, the new party, which is ultimately dissolved to form with all these other fringe organisations, the British Union of Bashes, before the BUF, Mosley already had a paramilitary-type organisation. The Black Shirts hadn't emerged yet, but he had a kind of a gang of toughs, referred to as the Biff Boys, uh, who helped police his meetings and speeches and um, uh, made sure that socialist troublemakers and all sorts of other undesirables didn't disrupt what Mosley was trying to do. One of the people who was attracted to Mosley was the fascist William Joyce, again a veteran from the First World War and a man whose um, anti-communism, anti-semitism and extraordinary resentment towards the British establishment uh, and again he was an Anglo-Irish um, kind of outsider um, re- um, potentially the it was Joyce I believe who perhaps drew Mosley further to the extremes. Not that this is in any way justification or um, vindication or sympathy for Mosley himself. He was quite, was quite aware of what he was doing. But um, his um, real kind of um, ideal, ideological Nazi at his side was William Joyce, who later, of course, goes on to be known as Lord Hawhaw, um, Joyce fled to Germany uh, before the outbreak of the Second World War and gave broadcasts from Germany throughout the war, undermining the British war effort. Um, his uh, his shtick was this uh, character, Lord Hawhaw, where he pretended to be some kind of Bertie Worcester-style aristocrat to make fun of the British upper classes, and he was arrested and executed at the end of the war. A, another uh, key uh, collaborator with um, Joyce was a guy called John Beckett, whose whose son Francis Beckett writes some brilliant history books. Uh, if you'll ever get a chance, read his book *Marching Towards the Fault Line*, uh, which is his history of the miners' strike. Um, the other um, enthusiast initially for the British Union of Fascists was Lord Rothermere, the owner of the Daily Mail. And the Daily Mail was the newspaper who led on the immortal headline, Hurrah for the Black Shirts. And um, Rothermere uh, wasn't an anti-Semite. He wasn't a, a, a Nazi in any way. Um, his main interest really was that of anti-communism. And he believed that Britain faced a, a threat from communism and the uh, the black shirts were really the the boys for the job who would stop the communists and certainly the black shirts um were engaged in all sorts of um venues across the country in manchester in aberdeen in uh, london in particularly east in london in uh, pitched uh, fights at uh, communist meetings and communist infiltrated black shirt meetings uh, at the height of the the violence between the two um, came at Mosley's uh, one major attempt to have a, a kind of a, a, a breakthrough moment on the national political scene, which was his rally at the Kensington Olympia in 1934. The rally was infiltrated by communist uh, party members, along with uh, anti-fascist activists who were um, come from a variety of political and ethnic backgrounds, and they uh, protested 
loudly uh, shouted down Moses as he spoke, and they were forcibly ejected and beaten and attacked by the uh, the black shirt stewards who were there. The the movement shifts very uh, from about 1933 onwards, uh, shifts um, very far, uh, very quickly in the direction of anti-Semitism, and it's no coincidence that um, when once fascism itself becomes ensconced in anti-Semitism on the continent, where um, you know Hitler's star as the leader of European fascism and extreme right-wing uh, politics is in the ascendancy and Mussolini's is in the decline after 1933, the nature of British fascism shifts away from its kind of Italian model towards its a more Germanic um, Nazi model. One of the things that uh, is generally true about Italian fascism, whilst Mussolini had certain anti-Semitic views, certainly he didn't really incorporate anti-Semitism into Italian fascism until 1938, uh, when uh, a deal with Germany uh, looked on the cards, and, uh, and Mussolini had decided that alliances with Western democracies were going to be something of a waste of time. So there is this uh, there is this key uh, shift towards anti-Semitism. Uh, Mosley seems to embrace anti-Semitism um, more and more, um, and he seems to um, in this period, whether this is real or whether this is simply an attempt to curry favour with Hitler, I'm not sure. But he seems to um, embrace um, a hatred of the Jews or the, the the Jews as an explanation for the nation's ills. And unfortunately for Mosley, um, it is the rise of Hitler and the um, the fear of a second European war uh, that Hitler represents to the British population that really pours cold water on his future ambitions. The uh, bottom falls out of Mosley's support uh, between 1933 and 1934, when the first news of repression in Nazi Germany starts to uh, make, reach the British press. The population becomes um, not necessarily overwhelmingly warlike towards Nazi Germany, but certainly the uh, appeal of anything that resembles a, a German kind of politics in the eyes of most ordinary people becomes uh, very unfavourable indeed. And the movement is pretty much broken in 1936, when Mosley tries a provocative march through the east end of London, where the the bulk of Britain's Jewish population lives. Most of these people are uh, emigres from Tsarist Russia, or the descendants of emigres from Tsarist Russia from about the 1880s onwards. And there is a, a lively um, anti-fascist um, tradition within the east end of London. and He is confronted at Cable Street, the uh, the figures go something like this, that mostly marched down Cable Street with 5,000 uh, black shirt supporters and was met with 100,000 anti-fascists. The police, whom, if you read documentary accounts of what happened on that day at Cable Street, seem to have been unusually sympathetic towards the fascists, uh, ended the march, and Sir Philip Game, the uh, chief commissioner for London Police, um, prevent, uh, prevented the march from going ahead. Government action came quickly after that with the Public Order Act, which banned the uh, British Union of Fascists from wearing their uniforms and meant, and, uh, meant that any marches in the future 
would have to be regulated and there would have to be official permission given. Mosley, in the years before the war, puts most of his efforts into largely ineffective um, appeasement-style politics, staying out of Germany's business and that that kind of thing. Um, He is interned during the war, uh, and afterwards uh, his um, return to form involves the formation of a new fascist movement, Uh, He called it the Union Movement. It was in part a a rejection of mass immigration after the war from the Caribbean and um, from uh, Southeast Asia, well, Southern Asia, sorry. Uh, But also he thought that there should be some kind of union of European European nations under, obviously, some kind of overall fascist ideal, um, which would reject not only the threat of Soviet communism, but also the uh, influence that the United States was inevitably going to have in Europe from um, the end of 1945 onwards, really, up until 1989. And it was an attempt to kind of fend off um, these two unwelcome forms, what he viewed, of a kind of non-European modernity that um, he, he wanted to um, ring-fence Europe from. And he also felt that countries like France and Britain and Belgium could pull the last of their colonies and hang on to them. But there was no reason to give it places like Kenya um, or the the Belgian Congo that everyone could cooperate. And I suppose what he was envisaging was a kind of fascist fascist style European Union with a a European empire tagged on. Uh, But this was not to be. It's worth bearing in mind at this point that Mosley is a completely discredited, marginal figure, um, something of a, a national pariah, having picked the wrong side during the war, and given that you know 60,000 people, civilians alone, were uh, killed in German bombing during the war, uh, somebody who shook hands with Hitler and uh, who uh, Hitler officiated at his wedding is really not a very popular figure at all. He died in 1980, but he continued contesting uh, parliamentary seats up until the late 1960s. One of his uh, admirers is the well-known fascist and, in gigantic inverted commas, historian uh, David Irving, um, who was uh, there when Mosley, uh, in the mid-60s, was giving speeches against Commonwealth immigration. During the heyday of Mosley's career, um, he never realistically came anywhere near uh, destabilising the government um, for for various reasons, possibly because Britain hadn't lost the First World War, we didn't have the legacy of, a, say, a German-imposed Treaty of Versailles or a loss of the empire. Um, Britain, yes, of course, goes through economic ups and downs, during the war, but it's nothing really compared to those faced by Italy and Germany after World War One, and the um, the hold that uh, fascism had over the British public, you know, it's not to be completely sniffed at. At one point, um, and this is you know, this is quoting BUF figures. However, at one point supposedly there were some fifty thousand members, so they they did propose some kind of um, threat to internal order. But perhaps it is uh, you know, Britain's long tradition 
of parliamentary democracy and long tradition of, of transition since the Civil War uh, back in the 17th century. That means that the, uh, our parliamentary, uh, parliamentary democracy is capable of absorbing these kinds of shocks, uh, whereas perhaps the uh, parliamentary system within Germany wasn't. Anyway, I hope that's useful, and uh, you can catch me on the next podcast. We're going to be talking a little bit more about Russia later this week, and um, we are just shy of the 10,000 mark. So, um, by the way, if you enjoy this podcast, you could do me an immense, immense favour. It'll take you two minutes of your time. If you can go to the iTunes uh, podcast page for Explaining History, and I think there's a tab there that gives reviews, write-ups, that kind of thing, plaudits and praise, please, please go there, hit us up with some praise, and we can then really plough on and give you lots more quality podcasts. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. I look forward to speaking to you all soon. All the best. Have a great 1st of September. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.